everyone, this is Dr. Jen Golbeck, and welcome to episode two of Because Science. This week, we're delving into the world of psychology to talk about narcissism. Do you remember the myth of Narcissus from your high school English class? Narcissus went up into the mountains on a hunting expedition, hoping to flush out some majestic stag to drive it into his trap. His mind on the hunt, he lost track of time and roamed ever deeper into the ancient forest. His throat parched from walking. He came upon a spring. The cool, crystal clear water glinted in the light. Narcissus knelt down to drink. Staring open-eyed from the limpid pool was the most beautiful boy he had ever seen. Narcissus caught his breath, his eyes thirstily roving over the boy's every feature. The shock of curly blonde hair, the smooth, flushed cheek, the chest rippling with muscles, and what a dear she was. Narcissus bent down to plant a kiss on him, but only cold water met his lips. In the 2,000 years since that myth first appeared, narcissism has changed from the story about not being too vain into an actual diagnosable personality disorder. This week, we're going to look at narcissism and study what it is, how we diagnose it, how it affects the behavior of people who have it, how it affects the people they're in relationships with, and how it's potentially treated. Let's start with what narcissism is and how we define it. Of course, we use the term narcissism to describe people who are kind of full of themselves, who always need to be the center of attention, who feel like they're better than other people. But there's also a diagnosable condition, narcissistic personality disorder. And to understand that, we can turn to the DSM-5. The DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. That's a publication put out by the American Psychiatric Association that lists mental disorders and criteria for having them. If we look at the DSM-5 for Narcissistic Personality Disorder, it tells us that typical features vary from person to person, but that there are characteristics and criteria that somebody has to have in order to be diagnosed with the condition. First, they have to have these two things. Grandiosity is number one. So they feel like they're entitled. That can be either overt, they come out and say that they're entitled to something, or they just have this quiet, internal, covert feeling of entitlement. Along with that, grandiosity means people are self-centered and they very firmly believe that they're better than other people. This also means that they tend to be condescending towards other people, again, either outwardly or in their own personal thoughts. In addition to grandiosity, people with narcissistic personality disorder are also attention-seeking. So they are excessively trying to get and be the focus of attention for other people. And they also need people to admire them. They're seeking admiration. In addition, people need to have at least two of the following things. First, they need to have excessive reference to other people for self-definition and self-esteem. Essentially, their identity is wrapped up in how other people think of them. Number two deals with self-direction. 
people with narcissistic personality disorder will set goals based on how it will get approval from other people. Their personal standards are either really high so they can claim that they're exceptional or they're too low because they think they're entitled to everything. So their self-direction is very much centered around their feelings about themselves and how other people will think of them. Empathy is the third possibility. People who are narcissistic tend to have an impaired ability to recognize the feelings of other people. Um, they're attuned to the reactions that other people have, but only as it's relevant to themselves and how they're perceived. So they tend not to be very empathic or to understand the feelings of others. And the fourth is intimacy. Their relationships tend to be pretty superficial and they exist to make the narcissistic person feel better, to feel higher levels of self-esteem. They don't really have a lot of interest in other people's feelings. So they may act a little bit like it, but just to get other people to like them. They don't have a lot of genuine interest. So according to the DSM, to have narcissistic personality disorder, you have feelings of grandiosity and attention seeking. And then you have at least two of the following issues with identity, issues with self-direction, a lack of empathy and poor intimacy. There are some interesting tools that we can look at both to understand narcissism in ourselves and others. One of those is the Narcissistic Personality Inventory, which is sometimes abbreviated NPI. This is a 40 question survey that you can take to rate your level of narcissism. I've included a link in the description for this podcast that will take you to an online version of the Narcissistic Personality Inventory so you can take it yourself. I'm not gonna read you the whole quiz right now, but I'll give you an example of what it looks like. Essentially, it's 40 questions and each question is made up of two statements and you have to pick which statement best defines you. So examples of those statements are, I have a natural talent for influencing people or I'm not good at influencing people. You pick which one of those describes you best. Other examples are, I can usually talk my way out of anything versus I try to accept the consequences of my behavior. And I'm no better or worse than other people versus I think I'm a special person. There's 40 of these pairings. You go through and pick which ones best describe you and you get a score for your level of narcissism. The version of the quiz that I've linked you to will also show you where you fall in the spectrum of other people who have taken that quiz. Now, there are certainly narcissistic people who don't believe they're narcissistic. So they may say, well, I don't think I'm special. I don't see myself as better than other people. But when you actually look at how they behave, they totally act like they think they're better than other people. So there is that drawback. That's why this personality inventory is not a definitive way to diagnose a person because it relies on self-reporting. And interestingly, there was a recent piece of research that I've written about, and there's a link to that in this podcast description also, that says instead of having people take this 40-question personality inventory, you can ask them one question that's just as accurate at scoring how narcissistic someone is. What's the question? How narcissistic are you? If you just ask people that question and have them rate it on a 1 to 7 scale, they give you an answer that is statistically indistinguishable from the answer you get after they take this big long personality inventory. 
So why is that? Why is it that you can just ask, how narcissistic are you, instead of getting around it through all these other questions? Well, it turns out that people who are narcissistic and recognize it are almost proud of it. They have no hesitation about saying that, yeah, I'm narcissistic because I think I'm better than other people. If you're not narcissistic, obviously you're not going to pretend that you are. Again, there's a link to this research in the description of the podcast today. So now that we know what narcissism is and how it can be diagnosed or recognized, the question is, how does that manifest? How does it affect the behavior of people who have it? How does it affect other people? And what do we do about it? First, let's take a look at people who are narcissistic and how their behavior is different from people who aren't narcissistic. There's a lot of research about how narcissism manifests in a lot of different ways. And some that I've looked at is pretty interesting. I'm a social media researcher, and it's interesting that narcissists often embrace social media. Research has shown that narcissistic people tend to have more friends, they tend to post more, and they're more provocative online in order to get attention. And this all falls in line with the idea that narcissists want people to pay attention to them and they think that they're interesting. That means you're going to post a lot more because you think everyone will be interested in what you have to say and you'll be provocative in order to get people's attention. In fact, it often doesn't matter to narcissists if they're getting positive attention or negative attention as long as they're getting some kind of attention through social media. And one of the favorite studies that I've seen about how this appears online is that internet trolls, people who go online and make really inflammatory comments just to upset other people, tend to have extremely high levels of narcissism. We've got a link-rich podcast this episode, and if you look in the description, there's another link to this research. The researchers who ran this study asked people who used the internet what their favorite activities were, and they gave them a bunch of different personality tests. And for most people, their personality ends up right around the middle, whether they like reading news, visiting forums, playing games. But people who liked trolling are off the charts in terms of how narcissistic they are compared to the rest of the population. And this makes sense with what we know about narcissists. They want attention. They think they're superior to everyone else. And so going onto a website and getting everyone riled up is something that gets them attention and also gives them a way to laugh at how stupid the rest of the population is. People who are narcissistic tend to watch more porn, which I thought was a pretty cool result, and in all the links from today, is another link to an article that I wrote about this research. Other studies have shown that narcissists tend to be more sexual. They have a preoccupation with sex, they tend to have more sex partners, they have a greater need for sexual stimulation. And so there was a theory among some researchers that maybe that would lead them to watch more porn than non-narcissists do. Uh, so the study that I've linked to actually says that this is true, that when you divide groups of people by how much they watch porn online, whether they've ever watched it or not, and if you grade them by how often they do it, People who never watch porn are less narcissistic than the people who do. And as you increase it, the more porn people watch online, the more narcissistic they tend to be. Now, these are just a couple examples of how narcissism impacts people's behavior and how you can differentiate the behavior of narcissists and non-narcissists. But where narcissism really gets destructive is in how it affects people who are in relationships with the narcissist. This somewhat theoretical description of narcissism may lead you to believe that they're kind of selfish, 
jerky people. But it doesn't convey the aggression, abusiveness, and violence that can come out in their relationships. Narcissists have a very fragile worldview that they've built around themselves. They need to believe that they're important, they're extraordinary, and that everyone should cater to them. Whenever anyone challenges that, even in a subtle, indirect way, by taking some action that the narcissist would rather they not have taken, they can have extreme reactions to that. And people who end up in a relationship with a narcissist get manipulated into a position where they often feel like it's their responsibility to cater to that. And when the narcissist acts out at them, they feel like it's because they've done something wrong. I interviewed a number of people who have either been in or are currently in relationships with narcissistic people, and I think they can describe it best. I just couldn't believe that this was ha happening to me. He tries to get people to spy on me all the time. You know, he's like, oh, it's nothing a, a bullet can't take care of. It was a living hell. My mother had to run for her life because the people who ended up coming after her at my, at my father and his attorney's behest tried to kill her in order to affect my being taken and, and returned to him. We ran around the United States for about five years. My mother had to, at the age of five, she had to teach me how to pretend to be, to use a, an alias. And we had to learn how, learn to know when we were being followed. We had enough possessions where we could pack the car in 10 minutes and never see a place again. And we did that. We did that maybe 17 times in five years. It's when they feel like they're going to lose you that they try to keep you. What people think about him matters so much. It's almost unreal. He thinks he's the smartest man in the room. There was a couple that was sitting um, at the bar with us and they were in love, in love. And they were older, they, they were an older couple, maybe in their early 60s and they couldn't keep their hands off each other, and they just looked so happy. The way we were sitting, they were um, in my in my view, right? So I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, look at them. They're so in love. He was like, stop looking over there. Look at me. I'm right here. I'm here with you. Don't look over there. I'm here with you. And it was the first time I had ever experienced um, him being aggressive, he even grabbed my arm, and I was like, "Wow!" I was like, "Okay, like, all right." I, I mean, they're in. I'm facing them, but okay, I will keep eye contact with you. He's always wanted to be good at everything. He has to be the best at it. Everything's about competition. We got into this major fight, and I was running into my car to get away and he and he tried to get in front of the car but I was like no way I'm gonna I'm gonna go around this guy um and he grabs this, this big huge rock on the side of the road and smashes it into my windshield threw it so hard that it bounced off broke a hole you know put a hole in one side of the windshield and then put another hole in the other side. It looked like they had two dartboards in my car on my windshield. And I was sitting in the car. I, it was it was like he just didn't care about me. He was just so angry at that point. 
all he cared about was himself. Next thing I know, he grabs my arm and he tells me, you are embarrassing me and you're acting like a whore. I was so taken back by that. There were times I knew he was messing around and then he would chastise me for questioning him. They prey on your vulnerabilities. They get to know you, they learn your weaknesses, and then that's what, you know, they have to manipulate you. That's the part of what makes them successful at what they do. Yeah, I'm gonna need nature counseling for the rest of my life, for sure. It's damaged me permanently, and and how I make decisions in my life from here on out, you know, who I associate with. I, I don't trust anybody. I don't trust anybody. Of course, you know, I know that you, there is no help for, for a narcissist. So is that true? Is there really no help or treatment for narcissists? There's a lot of mixed feelings about this in the psychological community. When people have really extreme narcissism that's usually combined with other personality disorders and psychiatric conditions, they can actually be hospitalized for it because their sense of esteem is so fragile that they can lose their sense of self. For people who aren't in situations that are that severe, it's very hard to give them treatment because they often feel like everyone else has the problem that they really don't have the problem, and thus it's hard to treat it. When narcissists go through crises like divorce or losing someone that they've tried to hold on to, their self-esteem can be shattered. It's the job then of a therapist to build them back up to the point that they have some self-esteem, but at that point, narcissists often feel like everything's been fixed and they leave therapy before actually getting the treatment that they need. So there's not a, a great prognosis for narcissists to simply go into therapy and get some improvement in their empathy, the way they interact with one another, or how they perceive themselves in the world. That said, we're discovering a lot more about narcissists and narcissism, how it manifests itself in society, and what people are like who have the condition. So it could be going forward that we come up with new discoveries that will lead to treatments or at least interventions that can improve the way narcissists behave in their relationships, even if their underlying personality can't be altered. Well, that's it for this week. I hope you've enjoyed this delve into admittedly a darker side of psychology. If you'd like to get in touch with me and give me feedback, I would really appreciate it. You can find me on Twitter at Jen Golbeck. The podcast is now available through iTunes, so please subscribe. And if you like what you've heard, please send a tweet or post a link on Facebook so more people can listen to us every week. I'm Dr. Jen Golbeck, and thanks again for listening to this episode of Because Science. <laughs> <laughs>